0: Good evening, it's a uh, pleasure to be with the adults uh, tonight, so I had to ask of like what the usual format of the service is, because I'm in here maybe once or twice a year, uh, normally with the, uh, the youth group in the other building. But if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Colossians chapter 2, tonight we'll be considering verses 16 through 23, wherein Paul warns of falling prey to human traditions that distract from true sanctification. Colossians has become a, a favorite of mine uh, recently. I don't know about you, but sometimes my, my love or appeal to certain books of the Bible, waxes and wanes usually due to the fact that I'm currently studying it with the uh, middle schoolers or, or high schoolers. But it's been a favorite of mine due to its rich theology, but also the practical application of that theology to life. Much like Ephesians, this Pauline epistle lays a theological foundation and then explains how that foundation implicates every area of our lives. The heart of the letter can be found in chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. There we find it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Those who have been saved by Jesus, the Lord, are to walk in him. That is, they are to live their lives in light of his lordship. Prior to this portion of the letter, Paul establishes the lordship of Christ and his rule over all things. We sang about that quite a bit tonight. Let's uh, look at some of those um, verses from chapter one briefly. In verse uh, 13, it says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. He is the head of the body, the church, that in everything he might be preeminent. We sang about Christ's rule over all things this morning as well. We sang, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. He has purchased us with his blood and now rules as our Lord and king. And in light of Christ's rule over everything, uh, as Lord and King, it's natural to expect that his lordship or reign would impact the way we live our lives. It's certainly true um, for our earthly kings or governments here. It's especially true with our heavenly Lord that we just sang was born in us to reign forever. And that's why Paul prayed for the Colossians in in chapter 1, verse 10, that they would walk in a uh, manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God likewise in verse 28 and 29 paul says that he's he's teaching the colossians with all wisdom that he may present everyone mature in christ and back in chapter 2 6 and 7 paul transitions from a theological emphasis to a practical emphasis verse 7 uses both a an agricultural analogy and a construction analogy to make his point. He says, So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Just as roots both support and nourish a tree or plant, the the theological truth that Christ is both Savior and Lord is the basis and strength by which we are to live. In the same way, a theological foundation, as laid by Paul, Um, is what we are to build our lives upon. And he says we're to do that in Christ, being established in the faith. But before Paul explains positively how we are to live in Christ in chapter 3, he first gives a couple of warnings regarding how not to walk in him. And that will be the subject of our time this evening. We considered last week during uh, Nathan Paul's sermon last Sunday morning, that Paul's warning in verse 8 and following uh, that we not be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. And in our passage tonight, we'll see that Paul is going to use similar language to contrast truly walking in Christ with vain pursuits of holy living. Just as in 1 John Um, John uses light versus darkness to generally contrast right and wrong or good and evil. Paul uses according to human tradition versus according to Christ the head or the elemental spirits of this world versus things that are above in contrast to right and wrong ways of living. In our passage tonight in verses 16 through 23, Paul's going to describe the characteristics of the philosophy and empty deceit that he is that is according to human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world, of which he warns in verse 8. We'll see in our passage tonight that the false teachers were promoting human traditions that rest in outward expression, second, human traditions that distract from Christ, and third, human traditions that have a deceptive appeal. That being said, let's read our passage tonight, verses 16 through 23. nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to open our eyes that we we may behold wondrous things out of your word tonight. Please put aside the distractions of this world. Help us to focus on your word for us tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First, we see in our text that Paul warns of human traditions that rest in outward expression. Look at verses 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul is warning that false teachers are passing judgment on the Colossians because of the way they eat, observe holidays, And participate in religious rituals. That is, they are criticizing or perhaps declaring God's judgment on people for doing or not doing those things or participating or not participating in those rituals. Commentators are not completely sure of the specific details of each of the activities uh, mentioned in verse 16. Paul may be referring to abstaining from or partaking of ceremonially unclean food or perhaps participation in Jewish holidays or Sabbath observance. He may even have been um, concerned about some sort of syncretistic combination of pagan uh, religions and Jewish worship. We can't be 100% sure. We can, however, be sure of the fact that Paul's concern is that the false teachers focused on those various outward conformances with rules regarding uh, religious rituals and expressions rather than on Christ. Look at verse 17 read, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That shadow and substance contrast relates to the comparison of material uh, realities with their corresponding ideals. To the extent that Paul was addressing Jewish holidays, we know that the feasts and celebrations were a picture of Christ's future fulfillment. Going through the motions of feasts without uh, connecting to their spiritual significance was of no value to the participants. In Matthew 15, Jesus quotes Isaiah 29, 13, in warning the Pharisees that, about participating in religious exercises without engaging their hearts in true worship. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. An application for today may be participating in the ordinances of the church uh, insincerely. The action of being dunked in a tank, usually over here, uh, before the whole church is of no value unless the participant uh, is trying to symbolically identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's why it's a ceremony only performed after a credible profession of faith in Christ is given. Likewise, eating a cracker and and drinking some grape juice during a morning service is a vain activity if our hearts aren't engaged and we're not um, being mindful of the sacrifice of sin that Christ uh, made on the cross. In the same way, holiday celebrations, like Christmas with Christmas trees. They're kind of vain if we focus on the tree and the lights, and we all know that. But they can be, the, the, the holidays and stuff should be uh, engaging our hearts. We should use them as times to engage our hearts with specific um, characteristics of Christ. We think about his birth. And in Easter, it's not about the bunny, it's about his resurrection. And so we make him, we have these holidays and these festivals to really engage our heart in true worship of Christ, but the holidays themselves are useless unless our attention is in fact drawn uh, to him. Religious rituals without Christ as the focus are vain, and Paul warns that those who cast judgment and assess one's sanctification based on outward conformance rather than with their actual connection with Christ. Mere external compliance with rules is not walking in Christ as we're commanded to do. Accordingly, Paul warns of, his, uh, warns of human traditions that rest in outward expression rather than inner transformation. Second, we see that Paul warns of human traditions that distract from Christ. Look at verses 18 through 20. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Paul begins verse 18, Uh, in a way uh, very similar to how he began verse 16. It says, let no one disqualify you. Douglas Moo in his commentary notes that uh, the Greek word translated as disqualify refers to the negative verdict of an umpire in an athletic uh, competition. So false teachers were essentially calling balls and strikes against people based on their practices apart from the worship of Christ. They themselves were puffed up, it says, without reason by their sensuous minds because of the things that they were experiencing. Look at the list of distractions in verse 18. First, he mentions asceticism, which is severe self-discipline and avoidance of indulgences, typically for religious purposes. Some translations um, read false humility rather than asceticism. Think of the Pharisees whom Jesus chastised in Matthew 6, um, 16 where we read, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. The false teachers insisted on or prioritized uh, refraining from enjoyable things in life as an indication of their spirituality without that ever being their inner reality. The second distraction is that the false teachers were insisting on the worship of angels. There's some debate as to what Paul means by the worship of angels, but the traditional view would be that it means exactly what we read in our ESV translation, that uh, that is a literal worship or deification of angelic beings. Included in this idea is praying to um, angels and calling on them for help or assistance, as as was done by the pagans in Colossae. Whatever its specific meaning, it was not Christ, or in the wordings of the next verse, not the head receiving the worship, and as such was a distraction from true worship of Christ. The third distraction the teachers were bragging about were visions, and uh, they were apparently judging uh, or thinking less of those who didn't have them. I don't know, have you ever felt less spiritual because someone uh, experienced or claims to experience something that you've never felt or experienced? Have you ever asked in frustration why that's never happened to you? I grew up in the charismatic church, and I never experienced some of the things people were claiming to experience. Um, but that's what's being described here. Paul tells believers not to be concerned with people who, who make such claims. They distract from Christ. The underlying problem is revealed in verse 19, that these, these false teachers and people who are looking outside of Christ were not holding fast to him, to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together um, through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. All the things they are focusing on, themselves with their asceticism, angels, visions, that they all distracted from Christ, the head of the church. And God, through Christ, is the one who nourishes and grows his church and its members. True spiritual sanctification is only accomplished through God's work in our lives and not through physical self-denial the worship of or concentration on other angelic beings, or supernatural religious experiences. And for this reason, Paul warns us to watch out for human traditions that distract from Christ, the head of the church. And third, we see that um, Paul warns that human traditions may have the deceitful appearance of wisdom. Look at verses 20 through 23. We read, in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Working backwards through this section then, we see that Paul acknowledges that the rules promulgated by the false teachers have an appeal. Um, they seem to fix things. They largely involve conduct that we can feel and measure and observe. And we like that. It has an appeal. We like being able to check something off a list um, to, to securely um, know that we've accomplished everything that's necessary or, or that we're doing right. I, whenever I go into court and I, I have a trial, I make a, a list in, in the case file of every, all the elements of the offense that the officer has to testify to. And I go check, 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 check. And it's, it's really great. Um, when I'm talking to the client afterwards, I can assure them that they lost their case because the officer testified to everything that needed to be done. And I ro- rely heavily on this checklist. So this, this, these rules and regulations put out by the um, false teachers have an appeal. We, we kind of like the idea of, of having a list. But these regulations um, uh, imposed by the false teachers primarily address superficial things that perish. We see that in, in verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And in verse 20, Paul asks his readers why they would su- subject themselves to such regulations if or since they have uh, died with Christ, quote, to the elemental spirits of this world. And here Paul is referencing that earthly empty and deceitful philosophy of verse 8 that is opposed to Christ. It is the false spirituality that focuses largely on our physical existence here rather than our citizenship in heaven. And that's why after giving these warnings about vain human traditions that Paul begins chapter 3 with if then you have been raised with Christ seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is in opposition to those regulations that are according to the elemental spirits of this world or in the words of verse 22, human precepts and teachings. These regulations and and rules uh, while appealing due to their measurability um, are deceitful because look at the end of verse 23, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. True spiritual transformation does not come from adherence to superficial regulations. Rather, as verse 19 states, spiritual growth or maturity comes only from divine assistance. Right conduct, then, flows out of a transformed heart nourished by Christ. That's why Paul prayed for the Colossians in chapter 1, which we read earlier, that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual Uh, wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God Paul knew that the Colossians needed his help that his strength in order to live rightly Epaphras knew this too Epaphras was the uh, the man from, Colossians, uh, from Colossae who gave the report to Paul, he references in verse 1. And, and finally, as he's uh, saying farewell at the end of the, the letter in, in chapter 4, 12, we see that Epaphras prays for the same thing. In verse 12, he prays for the Colossians that they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Like Paul and Epaphras, we must ask for divine help as we pursue walking in Christ. He is the only one who can give us strength to stop the indulgences of the flesh. As Paul told the Corinthian church, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted above your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We must resist the deceitful appeal of superficial action and ask God to give us inward strength to resist the indulgences of the flesh, which he promises to those who ask. So you see three warnings from Paul, how not to live in Christ. Uh, we should not participate in uh, just merely external um, uh, examples or, or rituals th- uh, without connecting with Christ and uh, uh, thinking about uh, what we're doing when we're, when we're baptizing and we're, when we're um, participating in communion. Second, we're not supposed to partake of rituals or, or things that distract from Christ. And third, he warns of uh, rules or regulations that may have an appeal because of their measurability and the fact that we can check them off a list, but that they, they in and of themselves do nothing to change our hearts. We need of divine insistence for that. Verse 19 says that we're nourished through, through Christ and that God is the one who gives us spiritual growth in our sanctification. So, if Christ is the Lord of your life, you must walk like it. Strive to live a life worthy of citizenship in heaven, fully pleasing to the Lord, and watch out for human traditions and rules that rest in outward expressions and that distract from Christ. They are deceitful because of the appearance of transformation, but are of no value in actually resisting the indulgence of the flesh. We can only grow in sanctification as we hold fast to Christ our head, through whom we grow with a growth. That is from God. And let's pray with Paul and Epaphras that he would give us the strength to submit to our heavenly Lord that hath made heaven and earth of naught, and with his blood mankind has bought. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help to walk in a manner manner worthy of you. Please help us to resist the urge to rest in our sanctification in outward expressions of religiosity. Help us to hold fast to Christ and Nourish us to grow in sanctification as you provide the strength to do so. These things we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.